I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight as I am the one you've put here to share your word. And Lord, I pray for receptive ears and I pray that we, your people, would delight in your word and that you would draw us to yourself by your grace for your glory and our good. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Psalms are just an intriguing compilation of Hebrew poetry that just so happens to be inspired by the Almighty God, hence different than any other type of poems. And there are some incredibly encouraging psalms, and we all know those, and you've probably been encouraged by those. And then this summer, we've chosen, actually Mark chose, to to pick some of the psalms that are a little more, a little tenser or more tense. A little more, he's called them the songs in the night which typically means probably not the ones that just give you butterflies. You know, they're the ones that more give you indigestion. Um, The ones that you say, you know what, even though it gives me indigestion, I I can relate to them in a kind of a negative way. And and that's what we're doing this summer, and that's what we're going to do today. So the title of the psalm, and it's Psalm 49, is Why Should I Fear in Times of Trouble? It comes directly from the fifth verse And then also from the 16th verse, talking about fear and afraid. And I've said this before when I preached too. And I I, I noticed at the beginning as James was reading, you guys were turning pages. I don't follow the manuscript. Now, I wrote it. So I I take all responsibility for whatever is good or bad in it. I just, I've never gotten good enough to follow manuscripts. So I've got notes. But the notes don't look anything like your manuscripts. So if you want to follow the manuscript, here's what I say. This is is the theological statement. Good luck with that. Um, (laughs) But if you want to, just stay on the front part or open your Bible because I'm going to really try to track with the Scriptures, not that the manuscript isn't there. And I'm just, I'm just being honest, all right? And it's probably going to be that way uh, from here on out. So anyway, when I looked at this psalm, there are a couple of things that I think are important in introduction. And one of them is there is a theme of fear in this psalm. And the fear theme seems to go in two different directions. One is here's the way the world would handle fear. If you're in the world and you want to get rid of fear, here's the things you could do. But if you're the people of God, you find out that their way of handling fear has a very negative end, really negative end. And that if you're one of the people of God, there's an alternative that's incredibly delightful. And that's what the psalm is going to talk about. It's in a form a little bit different than some of the psalms. It's what some of the academics would call a wisdom psalm, meaning that the genre, the type of a psalm is more like what you'd find in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. I don't know if you've ever been warmed and filled with Ecclesiastes, but I mean, it's got you vanity in it all over the place. And, you know, yeah, there's a time for everything. And that's Ecclesiastes. This psalm has a little bit of that flavor to it as well. One other thing in introduction is at the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 49, in your translations, there should be a heading. And Don Helton talked about the heading of his psalm. And, and most contemporary evangelical scholars would say that the heading was with the original poem, the original psalms, hence inspired. And it says to the choir master, you see that? And the choir master would have been the Hebrew Eric, you know, Eric, Mr. Hebrew Eric, um, whatever, whoever he was. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. And the one, the psalms we dealt with last week were from Korah. Korah were some men that were designated by David to help in worship of Israel. But there's a history to the sons of Korah that I think is helpful in this psalm. And as a matter of fact, and you don't need to right now, but you might want to sometime, if you go to number 16, you'll find a story, an intriguing story about Korah. Korah was a guy that lived probably several hundred years before this psalm was written. Korah was a guy who got in the face of Moses and said, Moses, 
I don't, I don't think you got it figured out right. You're not leading us right. I don't like you. And he had several guys with him. They were the naysayers, you know, the critics. And Moses said, hey, we'll let God choose between you and me. So he told the Israelites to get out of the way. I'm telling the story really quick. And here's what happened. It's, it's kind of interesting, and, and you'll see it here as it describes what happened when... God, I think you'll see it there. Yeah, I knew you would. It says, and as soon as he had finished speaking, that's Moses, and he told the people to get out of the way... All these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth. Kind of like that. The earth opened its mouth. I've never seen the earth open its mouth, except on Star Wars or one of those kind of things. It opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol. You talk about a horror story. And remember the word Sheol because they're going to use it quite a bit in this text. And the earth closed over them and earth said, that's an interesting lunch. Got a little snack out of that and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Now, It also says later on in the text that the sons of Korah were spared, or some of them. Not the same ones that are writing here, but that God in his grace enacted judgment on Korah, but not on all of his descendants. So a couple hundred years, several hundred years later, the grace of God even comes out that the sons of Korah write one of the psalms, write a number of psalms, actually, that we're able to enjoy. But I'm here to tell you that if you had the name Korah in Israel... A son of Korah, that was your last name as it were, that's probably not the way they did it, that you would be able to say, I understand a little bit about fear, not that I was there, but in my family history, the earth opened up, and it's as if it sucked in one of my ancestors, and his name was Korah, and I'm still called a son of Korah, sucked him in to Sheol, to the grave, to the pit, whatever that is, it's where you don't want to be, sucked him in alive, and then closed its mouth. And I would say, you know, he'd say, now top that story. And I would think, you know, I'm afraid of a lot of stuff, but mm, that's, that kind of that takes, takes the heat. So that's a little bit of the background. That's the guys that are writing. And then I've divided this psalm into three sections, partly because that's what they teach you to do in homiletics class, and also because I think there's three sections here. And there are three ways to deal with fear. And, and I know this because I know myself and I know enough of you And the ones I don't know of you are enough like us that I know this, that we have things that we can fear in this world, and we do fear. And there's a lot of them. And and you're not lacking for those kind of opportunities. We fear our health. We fear safety. We fear jobs. We fear not getting married. We fear staying married the way we are. We fear finances that aren't enough. We fear that we're going to have a bad reputation. We fear that we're not going to have any friends. We fear getting old. We fear, you know, you can go on. And if we took a poll, we could fill up many pages and reams of paper of how to, of things that we could be afraid of. So the question is, so how, what am I going to do with that? And there's three things this psalm says, and I want to go through them, unfortunately, a little too quickly. The first one is this, and it's in the first four verses, and it's good wisdom psalm format. And it says this, overcome fear by listening to the Word of God. Now, I don't know what you think a preacher ought to preach when he's preaching the Bible, but you ought to think he would say, you want to know the answers to life? And life is complex. It's not simple. And fear is not simple, so I'm not trying to make it that. But I am saying this, you want to know how to overcome fear? Get your ears open and listen to the Scriptures. Now, look how he develops this in Psalm 49, verse 1. It says, hear this, O peoples. The word for hear in Hebrew 
is a, a fairly well-known word. It's the word Shema. And if you were uh, uh, one who studied the religion of Judaism and that kind of thing, Shema would be the one word you'd know if you didn't know any other word in Hebrew. Because it's the word from Deuteronomy 6 that's kind of the code. It's the mantra. It's the statement of Israel. And it's, Hear, O Israel. The Lord is God. He is one. That's who we are. The Lord is God. He is one. And the Israelites would say, that's our, and they call it the Shema. You learn it in school. You say it until the day you die. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. He is one. The psalmist opens up with the word here, the word Shema, the word that would say this as he's going to develop the theme. And it's in good, again, wisdom literature form. Hearing is incredibly important. Not that speaking isn't important, but speaking secondary to hearing. And then he says, hear this. And he doesn't say, hear, O Israel. He says, hear all the peoples. So it's this earth-engulfing statement that everyone needs to listen to. And then in good Hebrew poetic fashion, he repeats the statement. It says, give ear, all inhabitants of the earth. Listen, heads up, listen, listen. And then he says in verse 2, both low and high, rich and poor, together. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are. Get your ears open. We live in a society that would much rather talk than listen. We live and we are people who would rather tell someone than hear from someone. Here's what the psalmist says. You got fear issues? Listen, hear, give ear. Verse 3, the psalmist says, My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. And then he says this, and this is an invitation to the readers and hearers of this psalm. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. And it's, it's as if to say, there are some really hard and heavy issues of life. Fear is one of them. And I would just like to be able to sit down and listen with a lyre, whatever that is, kind of a harp sort of a thing, playing in the background. That's the way a, a wisdom literature person would write. The bottom line is this, and it's point number one. And I think it's a point that we need to hear, and I think we need to listen, and that is the ultimate resolution to your problems, and fear may be one of them, is not tell your story, it's listen to God's story. Now, that doesn't mean, don't misunderstand me to be this coarse, you know, pastor that's up here and says, oh, I don't want to hear your story, let me just tell you what the Bible has to say, let me just cram a verse down your throat. That isn't it at all. It is to say this, I do want to hear your story, but if you want a resolution to it, it isn't just lay down on a couch and say your story and feel better because now I've told somebody about it. That, that, that can be helpful, but it's not solving anything. You want to solve your fear issues? Ears have got to be open. Listen to the psalm. Let God speak to you and let God minister grace and maybe it's through someone. And I find that to be a kind of a profound thought that I think we've lost a little bit in our generation. Step number one or point number one is get ears to hear if you're struggling with fear. And that's what the psalmist says. Point number two, and this is kind of at, the, 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 at least the bulk of the psalm, is you can overcome fear by exposing the facade of fear. Now... I wrestled a lot with this next section. It's verses 5 through 14. And tried to figure out how it flows. And in my mind, it's not one of those linear psalms that flows totally logical. And then I had somebody in my office on Friday and they said, this is the most logical psalm I've ever read. And I thought, really? Maybe I better redo the whole thing. But I don't have time to do that. It, it to me, was more of a wisdom literature psalm that kind of flows. And I, I almost saw different themes. I picked up the theme 
of, of verse 5. Why should I fear in time of trouble? And the whole issue of fear. And the way I see the psalmist is he's setting up, as I've already mentioned, the world's answer to how to deal with fear. And he says that then there is him, the psalmist, who's almost arguing against that. Like the world's way of dealing with fear, it isn't going to work in the end. And, and, and I, think, I think that's what... So he's exposing what I see as the facade of fear. Now, let's look at it, and I'll give you a couple of illustrations of how he works with it. In verse 5, he says, Why should I fear in time of trouble? Sounds like the Bible. Sounds like a psalm. Sounds like Ecclesiastes. Here would be the answer to that. You know what? You know what I don't fear? I, I got a boatload of reasons to fear. I mean, I got a lot of reasons to fear. Do you know what the doctor said to me last week? You know what my financial advisor said to me a week, that last week? You know what? I don't even have a financial advisor. <laughs> do, do, you, do you understand what's going on with my kids? Do, do you know how hot it's been? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not one that would say if I was a farmer, I wouldn't be scared a lot. Like, what's going on? And so most of us aren't farmers, but we're very much beneficiaries of farmers, right? And, bene- and not beneficiaries when farmers, things don't go right. I think he's saying there's a boatload of reasons that I could be fearful in times of trouble. And then he goes on in verse 5. When the iniquity of those who cheat me surround me, every time I look around, and this is vintage psalm stuff, the wicked seem to do great there's a few exceptions, but mostly, and we righteous people living for God, we get zipped. They're cheaters, cheaters. And that's kind of what life seems like. And then in verse 6, he starts with, and here's the way they seem to handle trouble. And it's almost as though I'm afraid they're trying to solve their fear issues. Here's how they do it. I don't have that, so I can't solve my fear issues. Here's one of the first things you can do to solve fear, according to the world. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches... In other words, the world would tell you this. If you're afraid, here's the way to handle it. Get more money. Man, if you had enough money, you wouldn't have to worry. I've, I've often thought that myself. Which is like not what you ought to say if you're up here preaching about fear. But I've often thought when I go to the mailbox, and nowadays because of email, I hardly ever get personal letters. So if you ever send me a personal letter, believe me, if it's a nice personal letter, then I'm really glad to get it. I get a lot of bills, but I'm hoping one day I'm going to go to the mailbox and I'm opening it up and it's the check. I don't even care where it comes from. You know, the check used to be, if it was a hundred bucks, you know, when I was a kid, a hundred bucks, I'd never, I'd never have to worry about anything. Then I went to college, a thousand bucks, I'd never have to worry about anything. Then I had kids and it was like ten trillion dollars and I would <laughs> never have to worry about anything. I don't, maybe you don't have that thing. I do. Someday I'm going to go, there's, the check's going to be there. Maybe not. But it does seem like if I just had, and the world seems to scream that, it says, those who trust in their wealth, look at verse 7. The psalmist doesn't take long to pop that bubble. He says, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. And he should live on, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Here's what the psalmist is saying. You know what? I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how huge your line of credit is. I don't care how incredibly good your 401k is. As if that's going to last. I don't, I don't really care about any of that because the fact is this. You can compile all your money and all the wealth and try to buy one more second of life and you don't have enough. You, you fall short every time. You're going to die. You can be as rich as the richest person in the world and the richest person in the world dies. Be warmed and filled. Uh, you know, I tried to think of some illustrations of this. The one that came to my mind is Muhammad Ali. And I'm, I'm a product of the 60s and 70s. I know I don't look that old, but I am. 
And I always say that, hoping for at least a little laugh. And, and you know, he was a guy, he was the self-proclaimed, I am the greatest. And then he got hit with Parkinson's. And the greatest is shaking. And Parkinson's is one of those most evil curses that has come to planet Earth where it just gradually and slowly eats you alive until... And it wouldn't surprise me at all to hear that he's dead because that's exactly the direction that he's moving. He was the greatest. He was, at the time, the best-known athlete. He had all the money he needed, and yet in the end of the day, the bubble gets popped. And you know what? He's got at least one thing to fear about, and that is, yeah, he's, he's mortal. Well, the psalmist goes on in verse 10. So if you got riches, you think that's going to keep you from being afraid? Uh, maybe not. Verse 10, for we see that even the wise die. Wise die. Say that ten times. And, you know, you could have the idea, okay, if I had money and if I, if I just had education, I mean, if I'd gotten that post-grad and then that post-post-grad and then that post-grad studies... And then, and if I was really smart, then I could hedge myself from the things that I would be afraid of, like somebody smarter than me might get something that I want to get or that they might somehow induce fear into my life. So if I was rich or if I was really smart, and, and look what it says at the end of verse 10, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. So here's the fact. College Park is made up of a lot of really wise, smart people, right? How many of us are stupid people? <laughs> You know, I tell you what, this week I felt stupid because I was in a meeting with, and we're looking at, at, at working on our, our website and doing some really incredibly neat things and, and work, and I'm sitting there and I told him, I said, you know what, I'm in this meeting and I feel really, I don't know if I use the word stupid, but I should have. I do, I feel stupid. I'm in there and they're talking about all this, you know, reaching, hooking, all, and I'm like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. We're, whether you're smart or dumb, whether you're rich or poor, the fact is, in the end of the day, you see what the end of the day is? The end of the day, you're going to perish. You're going to die. So when you're worried about the things that you got to worry about, worry about them. But then realize that you can worry about them and try to fix them, get more money, get more education, and you die. Amen. You, you don't have to repeat that. I'll do it for you. Verse 11. Their graves are their homes forever. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I've got two kids, two, two young adult children who have just bought their starter houses. <sighs> it's nice to have kids that bought houses or something about that. From a parental point of view, it feels like, okay, you're more independent now, right? Starter house. That means starter house goes to the next house and who knows how many houses are in there. Although they love their starter house, so they say they're going to stay there forever and I know better than that. Um, and, and, and then, but you know what? I know this. I can predict what their final house is going to be. Final house is going to be a box. Under the earth, and maybe if you still got a little left with a little stone on front on the top of it. And, and on my house, I've got a house, nice house on the front of it. My sister gave me this um, granite, I think it is. It says Bartimus. Yeah, Bartimus. The day's going to come when that sign's going down if God doesn't tarry. Somebody else's name or no name is going to go up there because my final house is going to be in the ground. Yeah. Man, you know, as I was thinking about that, on 116th Street, there's a house. And I remember when I first came to Indy, I'd go by that house, and the guy that was like the head honcho or whatever, Katsiko, Steve Hilbert, owned that house. And I'd heard about this house is just crazy, insane indoor basketball. And then his place goes bankrupt, and he tries to sell the house for $30 million. Uh, I don't think so. Well, how about $15 million? Uh, nah, I don't think so. And as it started going down, I thought, 
man, he might get my price range. <laughs> I, could, I could get into that house. And you see, you have what you think. If I had that, what else would I need? I don't have to be afraid of anything. And the final house is going to be for him and all. It's some place where they're not even called by name. Look at verse 12. Man and his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. He's like our next door neighbor's dog, which was a really cool dog because we petted her. She was a golden retriever. She was a lot of fun. And we never had to pick up her mess. Just petted her, loved her. She died. And all the pompous people, and that word pomp is probably not a bad translation. It comes from a word for honor. It's like all those that are on the top of their game, everything seems right. They've got it all figured out. And you know what? They're going to die like our neighbor's dog died. The, the, the illustration I thought of that was Tiger Woods, a guy who was on top of a game that I think is a really cool game, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You hit a ball and try to get it in the hole and you think. But I think it's a pretty cool game. He was on top of that game, like arguably one of the best. Until he hits, you know, the reality of sin. And the fact is he's moving just like all the famous people and all the people allegedly on top of their game. They're all going to get off on top of their game and they're going to end up just like Mindy, the next door neighbor dog. Verse 13. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. I like that word, foolish confidence. The world would say, you don't have to be afraid. You can be confident. You can be really confident. Just get your money act together. Just get your your houses act together. Just get your education act together. Just get your career act together. and, And you'll be confident. This is the path of those with foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. They get a lot of people that like them, a lot of people that are all for them. Then look at verse 14. This is good psalm verbiage. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Now, whenever I think of sheep and I think of the psalms, I think of the 23rd psalm. What a cool psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Look at the end of that verse. Death will be their shepherd. You got two shepherds in this world. One shepherd is going to take you down the path of life. It's going to say, if you just get enough wealth and health and prosperity and fame, and you're going to be okay, it's that false confidence, and it's going to shepherd you to hell. And then there's one other shepherd, is the Lord is my shepherd. And his agenda is significantly different than the world's agenda. But you see what's going on there? The sheep are appointed for shield. Death will be their shepherd. The upright shall rule rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed to shield with no place to dwell. There you go. Let's dismiss the service now and go home with angst, uncertainty, and a sense that this world that promises so much delivers hell. That's what it delivers. Here's the, I like to use visual aids every now and then, and I've got one for this morning. Actually, one with two parts. I think this kind of communicates it. I've got a balloon. This happens to be a purple one. It was a yellow one in the first service. So if you like yellow, you came to the wrong service. <laughs> and this is kind of like when you're thinking of how do you deal with fear? How do you deal with the hard stuff of life? Here's what the world's going to say. <laughs> Get more money. Or you're afraid you're not going to get enough money. Or the world will say, get a better education. So the rich, the smart, I'm really good at this. The people with houses, the people with possessions, the people on top of their game. I'm going to try one more. 
The people that have everyone likes them, they've got it. There's nothing for them to be afraid of. Here's what the psalm says. I think this is graphic. It says, but wait a minute, one, one little item you forgot. You got all that stuff. Looks really cool. Go buy your house on 116th Street. Go get your education. Go do all that stuff. So you think you never have to fear, except here's what happens. The reality of death comes, and at the end of your life, and you look at that and you say, I think I picked the wrong path. Somehow, I don't think that's the solution to life. And that doesn't mean it isn't helpful to get money and education. I'm not downing any of those, but I'm saying that's not the final answer. Which brings us to the third point. And this is why I'm committed to the church of Christ. And it doesn't matter whether I had a job here or not. I want to preach the same sermon. And it's the sermon that says this. If you want to overcome fear, you overcome it by understanding two little incredibly profound words. And those words are, but God. And you got to say it like that. And actually, you don't, because I've gotten a bunch of email about that, and I'm okay with it. Because look at verse 15. And verse 15 is not my favorite verse in the Bible, because I've got a verse that's been my favorite for about a year, and it takes a little bit longer than a year for me to get a new favorite one. But it's like, it's rivaling that. And look what it says in verse 15. It says, in verse 14, it says, their form will be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. It's as hopeless as it can possibly be. And verse 15 says, but God... But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. And not only that. There's two verbs in that verse. There's one subject. God's doing it. He ransoms my soul and he receives me. Here's hope in a world where you have incredible opportunity to be afraid. You've got a boatload of things to be afraid of. And some of you, I know, some of you I don't, but I know that this week is going to introduce new opportunities for you to be afraid. And here's the antidote to fear. The antidote to fear is, but God. The antidote to fear is this, is to become, and, and I love this term, and, and I'm, someday, I probably won't, but I fantasize that I'm going to write a book that's going to be but theologians. There are going to be people that are going to say, you want to understand theology, you've got to understand but God. You need to understand that this world is going in a certain direction and it would go in that direction and in the end you're going to be dead like everybody else is dead. Sheol is going to swallow you up like it did the Korah. And yet, and yet, but God, he comes and intersects that reality and brings new reality to life. You know, so I asked my intern this summer, um, this week, I said, hey, go get me some but God verses. I need some but God verses. I need them. And so here's what he got. And just five of them. I tell you what, if you struggle with fear, go home this afternoon and look up but God verses. And if you can't find them, let me know. I'll get the intern to do it for you as well. <laughs> look at this one out of Genesis. It says, as for you, you meant evil against me. Remember, that's Joseph and saying to his brothers, you guys had it out for me. But God... <laughs> Had a different plan, right? You meant evil, God meant good. Look at the next one. Here's Paul preaching. They laid him in a tomb. That's talking about Jesus. They thought they got him. We, we got this guy. He's in the tomb. He's dead. <laughs> but God raised him from the dead. Like, uh, you guys thought you had him. You never had him ever. But God raised him from the dead. 
Romans 5, what an incredibly delightful little section. It talks about how evil we are and our sins were in rebellion against God, but God showed his love toward us and that while we're moving in the opposite direction from us, he grabs us and he died for us. Man. Yeah, it's got to kind of burn in your heart at least a little bit, right? But God, or here's what Paul says in Corinthians. There's not many noble, not many of the guys that are on top of their games, but God chose what is foolish. He chose those stupid people of the world, those people with health issues, those people with intelligence issues, those people with financial issues. He chose those kind of people to shade the wise. Or this is my favorite of all favorite, but God verses. It's in Ephesians 2. It says, we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We deserve damnation. But God, rich in mercy, has ransomed us. We need to be but theologians. You know, when you're embarking on the tough stuff of life, you need to say, but God, but God, but God. As a matter of fact, I've gotten so enamored with the overall picture of Scripture. And I've studied biblical theology in the last couple of years. And I mentioned it the last time I was preaching. The Bible starts off with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, it's really good. That's epic Number one, that's number one story. Number two stories in the third chapter. But sin came into the world and death by sin. And the world has been cursed since the fall. And there's all kinds of reasons to be afraid because sin has come into the world. So if you say, well, I, you know, I'm afraid. Yeah, you ought to be afraid. Sin's in the world. Even in Genesis 15, the start of the third part of that epic of the overall picture of the Bible comes in because we're told that that serpent is going to bruise the heel of the woman. There's going to be pain and suffering and evil and fear and all that kind of stuff in the world. But the day's going to come. The day will come when the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, will destroy death. Man, and then the Bible is over, it's this picture of the redeeming, ransoming God coming into the world and bringing out, snatching out of death, out of the claws of death, bringing to himself. But God comes in, then we open up the New Testament scriptures, and wow, I tell you what, a thirsty Israel should be delighted about opening the scriptures and seeing this Jesus comes to earth, lives a perfect life, he goes on the cross and he dies for the sins of his people. And then the church of Jesus Christ has always said that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's all it's built on. That's enough. Sin was taking over the world, but God intersects that, and he intersected it in his son, Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what this psalmist, maybe 900 years before Christ, thought. He didn't know what we knew, but he did know the day will come when God himself will redeem his soul from Sheol. And Sheol for them was, was the pit... Sometimes it was translated hell. It's the place, and here's the horror of Sheol, is it's the absence of God. And the absence of God, is it's, it's not the location. I mean, Sheol is going to be hotter than it has been in this last week, in spite of what some people have said, as I've heard. It, it, it is going to be, it, it's a real literal location, but that's not the horror of hell. The horror of hell is there is no God, there is no good, and you're isolated to yourself and to evil forever. But God, but God. So, you know what? We really do need to be theologians of the but God reality. In this psalm, this verse, you need to memorize this verse. It needs to be one of your main weapons that you use against fear because there's two things going on in this verse. First of all, God ransoms my soul from the power of hell. God took care of all the things that I couldn't take care of. He took care of, okay, there's a price to be paid. You can't pay it. I will pay it, and I will take care of that sin problem. And he did it in Jesus Christ. And to that we say, glory be to God. But, you know, look at the last part of that verse. It says, he will receive me. 
Now, let me give you an illustration of that. A number of years ago, I met this woman that I became infatuated with, I think in the right way. So I finally, when you become infatuated with a woman in the right context, you say what you're supposed to say, and it is, will you marry me? And, uh, and then if you're a sane man, you would say, if she was sane, she would say no. But hopefully it'll be in a moment of weakness, and maybe she'll say yes. You're always hoping. And to my shock and appreciation, she said yes. And I'm like, ah, make a progress here. So then we go through, you know, a couple of months getting ready for the wedding. We go, and it was actually in the old sanctuary. We went up, and before God and some of you, we gave our vows to each other. We committed to each other. We've done the deal. We've signed the right papers. It's a transacted reality. Now, when you go home and I go home, what do you think? We want to have a date in a couple days? We didn't do that. I'm really glad we didn't do that. She came to my house. And she's never left. And I'm glad for that. <laughs> and it was not just a legal transaction, get all this stuff done and go on living as you've always lived. It's like we're going to live together. And when God did the legal stuff of taking care of all your sin, and by the way, we ought to be incredibly appreciative of that. Don't think that's all it is because God also said to this to you, I want you to become my child. And by becoming my child, that isn't just some legal thing either. It's I want to be your father. So, so, you know, when you're struggling with all those things you struggle with, and there are plenty of things to struggle with, there's plenty of things to be afraid of in the end of the day, but God ransomed my soul from the horror of Sheol. And not only that, but he received me to himself. And he embraces me as my God. So on those days when I'm fearful, when I'm struggling, I'm going to say, but God, he's my ransomer, which probably isn't a word, and he's my dad. And that's enough. And that's enough. You know, here's what the people of God ought to do, and they have done historically. And College Park, here's what we need to do. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. The gospel isn't just for those of you, and there may be some of you this morning that don't know Jesus as your Savior. I hope you're hearing really clearly that you can continue on your life, and, and you're probably doing some really nice and good things, and you can try to avoid whatever it is you want to avoid. But the day is coming, and it will come, and it's going to come without any doubt, and you will be dead. That's the end of the story. Unless, but God comes in and will intersect your life. And if you trust in him, he will offer you this ransom, this freedom that can come from sin. And he will take care of that sin problem. He's promised that if you're willing to trust in him. Many of us have already done that. And we think, okay, that's the gospel was for that. The gospel is for today. The gospel is for tomorrow. The gospel is for all those fear things that come barraging you in life. And the answer is, but God, I need to preach the gospel to myself, but God died in Jesus Christ. But Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, he's coming back for me, and when all else are against me, he's for me. That's, that's who Jesus is. He's for me. And you know what, that can, does that make life easy? I'm not saying it makes it easy, but I tell you what, it makes it a life with hope. And I don't know what other answer there is. Fill your life up with, with all that other stuff, and in the end of the day, you're going to find out, I died just like the beast died, or I could find that ransom in my Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, this morning we did something that the church has done for years and here, here, here's what it is. We partook, and I, I, I got this as, as kind of an illustration, and I wish we had cups this big rather than those. You know those teeny ones we get? They're really teeny. I want more. <laughs> That's the blood of my Savior, Jesus Christ. So I got this, and I actually had my wife draw on it, and 
Does it work? Yeah, there you go. You got to get one of these. I'll sell this after third service. You ought to get one and put it every place in your house because when you come in and you partake of the Lord's Supper, here's your, what you're partaking of. You're saying life is crazy. There's a lot of pitfalls. But God! And, and you partake of that and you say, but God died for me. And that is the answer to the problem with your boss, the problem with your kids, the problem with your health, the problem with your wealth. The pro- you go on down the line. Here it is. It's but God. You know, do, do some of you have kids? Yeah, you do. So your kids, you know, they struggle with monsters. So a few kids are here. Nate, talked to you a lot. I don't know if you kids ever struggle with monsters. I had kids that struggle with monsters. And then my parents told me there weren't monsters. They left the room. There were monsters. They were there. <laughs> and then now me as an older person, and I look at the parents and I say, you say there are no monsters, but then you tell me about the monsters in your life. You just put more sophisticated names on them. They're monsters. Christ died to defeat monsters. That's what he died for. And most of the monsters of life are spiritual reality more than they are physical reality anyway. And whether you're a kid or whether you're whatever, here's what we need to be telling our kids when they're scared to death at night. But God. Yeah, you think there's a monster under there? It could be. There isn't really a monster under there. Or it could be. But God died. And he was buried. And he rose again in Jesus Christ. And he loves you. And he's your father. And that's what takes fear away. And you know what? That's true. The older you get until you come to that final day. And the final day when death comes. And if you built your life and you said, I don't have any fears because I'm rich because I'm smart. And the balloon pops. And you see what at the end of your life you say, I don't have any fear because death has been conquered in Jesus Christ. So... Throw the balloon away. Throw the needle away. Christ has taken care of all that I need. So we need to be preachers of the Gospels to ourselves. Well, let me finish this incredibly encouraging. So I love Psalm 49, 15. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mind. Give it to your kids. Give it to your parents. Give it to your co-workers. That's life and life indeed. Now look how the psalm ends. In verse 16, it says, Be not afraid. Easier said than done. But never done unless you have verse 15. Ever. Finally. It sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? On a stormy water, be not afraid. And you say, Jesus, you're crazy. Got plenty of reasons to be afraid. Be not afraid. And then he goes on. He will carry, or when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he'll carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well yourself, his soul goes to the generation of his fathers who will never see light. And I'm thinking, all right, you were doing well in verse 15, Psalmist. Now you're taking me down the pit again. Verse 20 is kind of a repeat of verse 12 with one interesting insertion. Man on his best day in his pomp, yet without understanding. That's the insertion. A man who's going to go after life in his own power and try to conquer the foes of life and the things that will bring fear, that kind of man is like the beasts that perish with no hope and the end of life is in the grave and they're dead. That without understanding is the beautiful part because there's hope for those who have come and interacted with the God of life in Jesus Christ. That's our hope. So what do you do with that? College Park. There's three takeaways. I'm going to do them real quick because they're basically the three points of the sermon. If you struggle with fear, if you don't struggle with fear, there's probably something a little bit wrong with you. Either that or you're really, 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 really spiritual. And that's a good thing. So come and warm me and fill me. (laughs) But if there are things that you struggle with in terms of fear, do this. Because there's a sense of reality to them. It's just the fullness of them. Get your ears open. Go study the scriptures. 
Study the, the verses on fear. Study the verses on but God. If you need to, get with someone that's a believer and say, I'm struggling with this. But then when you say that, don't say, now I feel better. I told him. Say, I want to hear. I want to hear what God has to say. Then the second thing you need to do is you need to not buy the, the garbage, which it really is, of the world saying, if you just had this, if you just had that, if you just had this too, this diet. Man, if you eat this, what do they call it, miracle foods or there's whatever that word is, you just start eating enough of them and, man, you'll, you'll never have any problems. You're going to eat enough of them until you die. That's what you're going to do. And I'm not saying you shouldn't eat whatever those things are. I might not, but I'm not saying you shouldn't. But that's not going to be the resolution to it. Don't buy what the world tells us is the ultimate solution to fear. Which then brings me to the third point, and that is start today preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Preach to yourself Psalm 49:15. Preach to yourself some of those but God verses. And does that mean life won't be tough? No, but it means that the resolution is this, and it's in Christ and Christ alone, and that's enough. You know, I want to end kind of where I began. I talked about Korah at the beginning. Kind of that gory story. The earth opens up and swallows 250 people and they're dead. The story goes on, and if, some of you know this. If you didn't know this, this would be a shock to me. Within a day, the rest of Israel goes to Moses and they say almost the same thing. They say, Moses, you're trying to kill us all. You're, you're, you're a lunatic. And I'm thinking, man, if I had just seen 250 people get swallowed up by the earth, I would keep my mouth shut. That's what I would do. Just keep your mouth shut. Kind of get under the radar. These guys get up there. And here's what God did. God said, I am really ticked off. Moses, get out of the way. This is it. I've had it with these guys. And, and he already took 250, so I'm pretty sure however many more there were, he could take out pretty quickly. And so Moses is like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And as a matter of fact, a plague started, and people were dying. And Moses said, and he, man, this is some incredibly potent stuff. He told Aaron, he said, get down there. And down there was between the people and God. So Aaron took it, and it was, I'm not sure exactly what it was. It was some sort of an atonement figure. He took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. So you've got God, the people are rebelling against God, and God said, I've had it. Here it comes. And, and I think it's interesting, Moses tells Aaron to go, get in between those two. And then you can see Aaron's like, man, I better get in there, because I'm not sure how much time. So he runs... And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. As a matter of fact, you read a little further on, 14,000 plus people die in that plague. It went from 250 to 14,000, and there were still a lot more Israelites. Had already died, had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people, whatever that looked like. Here's Aaron. He's got some sort of sacrificial atonement. And look at the next part. And he stood between the dead and the living. <laughs> between... The holy God and a group of people about to die. He runs and he stands there. And if I'm him, I'm shaken. Because I know whatever I got isn't a whole lot. But I'm hoping somehow to appease the wrath of God. And the verse went on and said, and the plague was stopped. 14,000 people died and thousands of people were redeemed. And, and I look at that and it's, it's like, really? These guys are nuts. These guys are lunatics. They're insane. Then I find myself in rebellion against God too. And you know the person that stands between the wrath of God and my ultimate death? You know who stands there? It's not Aaron. It's not Pastor Mark. It's Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that the glorious reality of the world in which we live? As we blow our bubbles up, the one that stands between us and Sheol, the grave, and death is Jesus Christ. 
and Him crucified and risen. And I would say this. That's all we need. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need each other. It doesn't mean we don't need help and we don't... We do. But in the end of the day, and at the foundation of all we need, is Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. Father in heaven... I thank you for texts like this that on one level are kind of confusing. And and most of the 20 verses in this psalm say, try it all and you're going to end up dead. But one verse, but one verse turns the whole story because we believe that but God has ransomed our soul from the chaos and the horror of Sheol and he has received us. Thank you, Lord. We partook of the Eucharist, and we thank you for that good gift of your grace. And if there's some here this morning that don't know you, Lord, I fear for them because they have nothing to look forward to but fear. Draw them to your kingdom, Lord. May they repent of their sin and be drawn to you. And for those of us that are believers, life certainly throws things at us that are horrific and horrible. And in the end of the day, we need somebody to stand between us And death, and that somebody is your son, Jesus Christ. May we cling to him. May we begin every day saying, Jesus, I love you. My hope is built on nothing less than your blood and righteousness. And Lord, help us to do that until the day that we come to your presence and you've received us fully to yourself. And Lord, come quickly. And we pray that in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, thank you, College Park. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I can't imagine a more appropriate time to come to Christ. We have people that would be glad to talk to you. If you're struggling with some fear issues, there are people here as well and at the church. And and let's preach the gospel to ourselves, College Park, every day. God bless you. Thank you.